name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So for those of you that have been here for the season, um, I've really enjoyed, and I'm, I think most of us have, the Christmas and the Carols uh, series that Jimmy initiated. And I'm going to close it out today uh, with the, the, final, the final segment for this particular series. And when Jimmy asked me if I would be willing to preach uh, this Sunday, he said, you know, for pretty quick, he said, what song would, it, would you like to, or what carol would you like to use today? And so uh, it didn't take me long to answer him because there was one in particular that for the, for the time that we're in and for the sense that we, that we live in right now, um, it, this particular song carries with it a lot of meaning for me. And uh, so I'm going to be actually speaking from this, the, the carol, it came up on a midnight clear, and it's actually printed on the back of the bulletin. If you have one, you can follow along as I read it at uh, different times here. But I've titled the sermon this morning, Peace, <clears throat> Fear, and the Exercise of Love. And if you were here Christmas Eve, we talked a little bit about the, the, the struggle to have joy in, in the world that we live in, because the world that we live in is so overrun with anything but joy right now. And so this will be, in some ways, it will be a bit of an extension of that, but it'll um, have a little bit of different context as well. So we're going to start um, today, we're going to start with prayer and ask the Lord to direct our hearts and our minds today and hopefully give us something that we can take home with us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it's not... Uh, It's not an easy thing to, to stand before your family, to stand before your children and know that the words that I say can be misconstrued, can be, can be wrong. I have the ability to say something that is categorically a lie up here. I have the ability to tell, tell someone something that is not what you would have them say. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that your Holy Spirit would be present here. If there's anything that I say that needs to be corrected, Holy Spirit, would you correct it? If there's anything that is good, Holy Spirit, would you take it and make it um, a ministry tool for uh, whatever heart it goes to? And I pray, God, that this, this morning, this last day of, or this last Sunday of 2020, um, that we could leave here today inspired to walk with you um, to an even greater extent, um, inspired to, to stand firm in the faith that was delivered to us. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that we can gather together um, to love on each other and to worship you and to magnify your name. And so we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So open your Bibles to Philippians uh, chapter 4. <clears throat> We're going to start with some scripture. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. These things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Follow with me off of the back of the bulletin as we read through the words of this song. It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all-gracious king. The world in solemn stillness lay 
to hear the angels sing. Yet with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel strain have rolled 2,000 years of wrong. And man, at war with man, hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. All ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old, when with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold, when the whole heaven and earth shall own the Prince of Peace, their King, and the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. So the reason this song has a particular meaning to me is um, because of a set of circumstances that happened uh, 19 years ago. I come from a family of eight, and uh, we traveled, for those of you that don't know this, we traveled and sang gospel music for a number of years, and we were scheduled to begin recording a Christmas album, and this was going to be one of the songs that we were recording. And the day that we were going to start recording it, was, uh, to borrow FDR's words, a day that will live in infamy. We got up, my brothers and I and, and my dad, and we got up and we got our breakfast on a bright September day and headed out to work. Little knowing, along with everyone else in our world, just exactly how different the world would be by that nightfall. And we got to work, we got our mortar made and our bricks set up, and we were laying brick. We were actually working uh, in Smithfield, um, uh, we were actually bricking David and Michelle Jones's house, if you, for all the, that remember them. Um, we were working on it. I can tell you exactly where we were on the wall when Michelle came running around the corner of the house and she said, a plane just flew into the World Trade Center. And uh, we kind of like, you know, kind of look at each other and you think, oh boy, the poor driver of that Cessna, what was he thinking, right? And then a little while later she came running around and said, another plane has hit the other tower. And when, that, when those words came out of her mouth, you knew in that moment something was terribly, terribly wrong. But we were on the job. We were laying brick. We had mortar out. And we just kept on going. And so we worked through the day. We heard little bits here and there. But we really didn't know much of what was going on. A lot of people didn't know because it was a bunch of fusion at that point. We went home, got cleaned up, and we were headed to our... Um, the, the recording studio was in Virginia Beach. So we left and headed to Virginia Beach to commence our recording of our Christmas album. And on the way down there, I grew up in a family in a conservative Mennonite world where we didn't have TV or radio. So I had not seen any images. I had only heard little snippets here and there during the day. Somebody calling and saying, did you hear what happened? So I, didn't, I knew something bad was going on, but I, didn't, I had no visuals at that point. So we went to Virginia Beach. We began to record. And if I remember correctly, this is the song we recorded that night. I called on the way down to Virginia Beach. I had a friend living um, down there, and I called her and I said, could we stop by your place this evening after our recording session is over um, and, and see, you know, you'll have the news playing so we can see what happened. So that's what we did. We recorded their song, went to her house, and we walked in. And of course, at that point, everything's running 24-7. We walk in, having known about it all day, having just recorded a Christmas song, And we see the towers falling, and we see the planes hitting, and we see the towers falling. The shock to my, I don't know what you call it, to your conscience, to your your sense of decency, just the the juxtaposition of this song about peace on earth next to the chaos and the horror that we were watching that day burned it into my mind. And I can't sing this song like I used to sing this song. When I, when I hear these words, they, they, they look different now than they did before then. And we didn't know. You know, like, um, life goes on. We weren't in New York that day. I didn't even think about New York City. I never wanted to go to New York City. I was a country boy all the way through. But that weekend, our family was singing at home, and... My heart, my heart is to tell you something 
that will minister. Not to tell you some great and glorious word, but to tell you something, to, to share something with all of us today. My prayer to the Lord was, I've got to talk to the family at BCBC. I'd like it to be something. I'd like it to be something from you that we can go home with, something that we can move forward with. And I think I have something. <clears throat> so I titled it, Peace, Fear, and the Exercise of Love. I'm going to go through the verses, and I'm going to give you what I think Mr. Edmund Sears is trying to tell us in each of the verses. Verse 1, the angel's message is simply this. God is going to do something. God is going to do something that will bring, that will bring peace to men on earth because His favor is on them. <clears throat> and so, as I'm pondering this, I'm thinking about peace, and I'm... And I'm Mentally, attempting to define peace. So I looked it up in the dictionary. Peace in the dictionary is simply absence of conflict. By that definition, a dead person in the grave is experiencing peace. I don't think that's what he's referring to. But I'll be honest with you, I kind of struggled. I, I, when I, I came up with another definition, I realized, and this was my other definition... Confidence in someone greater or something greater than yourself. And I realized I was referring to faith. It's a little bit nebulous trying to pin down what it actually means. So I'm going to back up a little bit and we're going to look at it from a different angle. If peace is absence of conflict, and we'll go with that for now, what is the, what is the opposite of peace biblically? Anybody have any idea? Pardon? Unrest, yeah. Jesus actually talks about it. Let not your heart be troubled, and don't let it be afraid. I think that fear is the opposite of peace. And that began to make sense, because when I'm afraid, something rattles me, something gives me unrest, something shakes my ability to control the situation, and I become fearful. And I don't know what to do about it, and I immediately lose my peace. Now, I'm going to give you all just a personal illustration from, uh, from Thursday night. I was in the cabin studying for uh, what, I, what I spoke on Christmas Eve. <clears throat> and I felt, and this isn't mystical or anything like that. I think you can understand what I'm saying. I felt a cage around my heart. It was like it was literally an iron, cold iron cage around my heart inside my chest. And I knew what it was. It was a spirit of fear. And I, I was longing to hear what God was going to say to me, but I couldn't hear through that. And if that's too weird for you, just ignore it. I'm just telling you what I felt, right? And I told the Lord, I said, I, I, I just started praying. I said, I need the spirit of fear taken away from me. I need to hear from you, Holy Spirit, and I can't hear through this cage. And you know what happened? It went away. And the immediate thing that happened, because I'm praying, Holy Spirit, tell me what it is I need to say tonight. This is what happened. These words, be still and know that I am God. But I couldn't hear it until the cage was taken off. That was fear taking my peace, and I couldn't hear God. Right? I just experienced that. That was exciting to me because God answered my prayer. He, whatever that spirit was that had, had encapsulated my heart was broken free, and immediately I could hear the Holy Spirit speaking. Immediately I could hear it. And I experienced it again. I feel like in, in looking at, at some of what we're talking about today. So there's four types of peace as you go through this, um, this song. There's four types of peace in here. Verse 1, if you, if you look at the words, verse 1 is the angels declaring that God is going to make peace with man. That's the vertical peace. That's the peace from God to man. Verse 2, and this was the one that got me all those years ago when we were recording because the line in there, and man at war with man hears not the love song which they bring. That's the second piece, the piece that allows 
two nations to get along, two families to get along, two, two siblings to get along. That allows a husband and wife to get along. And man at war with man hears not. And so the second piece is the peace from man to man or from person to person. The third piece, and I think this is the one that, at least for me, has, was, was tremendous help looking through this. Peace from man to his circumstances. Do you ever think about that? God gives peace for man to be able to deal with his circumstances. And the final one is peace for man towards his future. And I use the term man generically for all mankind. The peace that man has to have to be able to look forward, to know that his future is uncertain and be able to accept it. All right, so let's go through this. So if peace, if the opposite of peace is fear, then what we have to do, like the other night when I was praying and asking God to take the spirit of fear, we have to do something to get rid of fear. If we can get rid of fear, then the peace can be present. What is the antidote biblically? What is the antidote for fear? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out because fear hath torment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. The answer to fear is love. Now, this is where it gets exciting. Love is an action verb. Love is a choice. See, I can be afraid of something that I can't do anything about. I can't do anything about the future. And on the news and on the radio... You know what you hear? You hear primarily news about things that you can't do anything about. And it just squeezes you. But you can do something about a choice, a simple little choice. And I was thinking about this with my family. And I was thinking about the, <laughs> about the reality of the family of a preacher. You know, we come to church and we listen to Pastor Jimmy preach and we're blessed by it. But poor Miss Ann has to go home and live with the guy. <laughs> and so when he talks about loving God and loving his wife, and she's just thinking, man, you didn't do that this week, right? So my poor wife, I apologize to her in front of everyone because she's going to struggle with some of that this morning, honestly. Because this is, I'm not preaching from a position of having gained it. I'm sharing with you like one beggar giving another, telling another beggar where to find bread. But I thought about that. She has to choose to love me through the words that I'm saying right now. My kids have to choose to love me because they see me get frustrated. They see me fearful. They see me not at peace, not loving. And for them to gain from this sermon, they have to see through that. That's the nature. That's the nature of love is to learn how to see past it. So the second verse... The first verse says that God is bringing peace. And peace, the, the, the opposite of peace is fear. And the antidote to fear is love. And we'll talk about that a little bit more and flesh it out a little bit more. The second verse, ever since the Prince of Peace came. Now listen, men all over the world have made it clear that they want nothing to do with the peace that he brings. Is that a true statement? That was what grabbed me that day as we're recording. We're recording in the peace and the quiet of this recording studio. And we leave and you hear and you see the slaughter. The slaughter of thousands. But you know what else hit me? 19 men. The pictures. You remember the pictures of the 19 men? All I could think was they came to America and for a year and a half learned how to fly planes for one reason. So they could go and kill people. That means that for a year and a half, you had the, the possibility of seeing them at the grocery store, talking politely with them. They interacted with people that they were going to murder. And I could not grasp that. I couldn't get my face, my, my, I just couldn't follow how it could be that evil could live like that. But as I was pondering this, I thought about something. You know, we talk about God's peace, and we talk about it as the only peace that there is. And I believe that it's the only true peace. But Jesus actually refers to two types of peace. I never noticed this before. Go back to John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
not as the world gives. Huh. That means that the world has some kind of peace that is optional. I think I know what it is. I'm going to describe it for you. The two types of peace are this, and it's actually not difficult, and it's actually very visible, and we struggle with it both in our lives. The first type of peace is God's peace, God's way of doing things, and it's exemplified by surrender. And real simple. He's bigger than us. He knows more than us. We can't control stuff. There's only one place to go, and that's to Stop being gods ourselves and let him be God. But you know what man's way is? Man's way is control. There's only one problem with control. We have a limited ability to control, right? But you know what happens actually in real life? Have you ever noticed that the richest people in the world seem to be the ones that want to tell everybody what to do? I, I have never been able to quite figure that out. Someone who is... Crazy powerful, someone who has all the money, they couldn't spend it all if they wanted to. And they want to move on to other things. They want to um, set parameters for, um, Bill Gates was trying to do that. He was setting parameters for schooling. Now he's, he's trying to figure out how to force everyone to get vaccinations. It's a control issue, but you know what it is? It stems, it's his way of acquiring peace. If I don't surrender to God's control, I'm going to try to control myself. And when I try to control, it's a vicious cycle that cannot end. The moment I begin controlling my life, I finally get it all together, right? I get my little little world built perfectly. I've been guilty of this. I get my little world built perfectly. I got all the stuff I need in place. I got enough food. Man, I could go for years on the food I got stored up. Not really, but I'm saying, I'm imagining. And I got my generator, and I got my stuff over here, and I got everything taken care of. And then you know what happens? Oh, my goodness. Somebody tells me about this other thing that could happen. Oh, my goodness. Now I got to come over here, and I got to do more, and I've got to. There is no end. You can't have enough money to fix everything. The only way to maintain that level of peace is to continue on increasing and increasing and increasing the control level that you have. It's the only other way to any amount of peace. And it's not lasting and it's not true, but there is some semblance of peace in it for people. I'll give you an example that Jesus lived under. When Caesar Augustus Um, who was the Caesar when Jesus was born, the emperor when Jesus was born. When he was the emperor, something occurred. For 40 years in the Roman Empire, across the entire empire, was something that they referred to as Pax Romana, the peace of the Romans. You know how that occurred? You squish enough people long enough, everybody will give up and do what you tell them to do. That was the world that Jesus was born into. Total control. So much so, you know, we think about if you're living back there, I think about this like, man, I'd go out in the wilderness and I'd hide somewhere and they wouldn't find me. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, including little nobody carpenters in the little nobody town of Nazareth. By the way, buddy, you're going to have to drive 90 miles downriver and go register at your hometown. And you can't get out of it either. Total control. There's peace for some in that. But that's the alternate peace. I think that's the other peace. Now we see it in little ways. We see it in little ways in our own life. If I could just manage this part of my life. Someone told me recently, been struggling with a sin for a long time and they finally got a hold of it. And you know what they said? Man, I thought if I got a hold of this, if I learned how to deal with this sin, I'd be okay. Now there's all these other ones. Oh, they were all there already. You just couldn't see them past this big one that you hadn't managed yet, right? We live our lives and we're constantly dealing. I get a, finally get a hold of, of, of learning how to, how to live in peace and then something else comes along and I've got to start all over again. It's like one level of grade school after the next. That's verse two. Verse three. Because our world is under the curse of sin, we, the people, are often subject to oppression, misery, pain, and circumstances beyond our control. Now, in this country, we have a fair amount of control over our own lives. We, 
generally speaking, can choose the job we want. We can choose the house that we want to live in. You know, obviously there's limits. You can't afford a house more than what you can make money to take care of. But we have a lot of ability to choose. There are some places in the world that they have almost no ability to choose. But you know what we can't do? We cannot control our whole world. We, even if we have um, controls over the things in life that we just, think, we just take for granted as Americans, we can't control other things. Some people come from a family that seems to be genetically disposed towards cancer or genetically disposed towards heart disease or, you know, you can't do a thing about that. You can't go in and, and switch the genes and change how the DNA works in your life. There's so much in our lives that we can't control, and we are subject to the consequences of brokenness. You know, we were in Hatteras two and a half years ago with the Love family. Graciously, they were allowing us to vacation with them. And the last day, last day, we're packing stuff up, and Janice comes running in sobbing. Shepherd's just been killed. You know what was the most memorable thing about that for me? Was watching her response. I didn't ask you permission. I'm hoping you'll allow me to do this. You know why it was so hard for her? One reason. Because she has a son too. And there's a terrible fear a terrible fear in her that that could happen to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't escape from it, and you can't do anything about it. Shepard wasn't doing anything wrong. Somebody just pulled out in front of him, and that's the end. And there's nothing you can do about it. You are weighed down, like the verse says, all ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Jill can't do anything about the sickness that is inside of her body that messes her life up. And you toil along, and you get, you get to the point sometimes, if you're like me, how to do it all. I don't know how to be. Uh, there's not enough time to be a, a good husband and a father who trains his kids effectively and, and makes enough money to live on and still have time to do stuff at church that God wants you to do. And, and, and the older you get, it gets, you get more tired. And so Eric gets away with stuff that Dietrich didn't get away with because I just don't have the energy to chase him anymore. <laughs> We experience it constantly. It is the nature of our life here. Now, I, it sounds like I'm painting gloom and doom, but the reality is I'm painting reality. At best, at best, we have a very limited ability to control our life. There was a point in my life, <clears throat> there was a point in my life, it was a particular day in my life, that God had withheld something, in my opinion. God had withheld something from me. And I had been trusting him for years and years with this one particular thing. And I felt like he had given me an answer and then <laughs> snatched it away from me. And I woke up that morning and I was so angry. I, I have never been this angry in my entire life. I was so angry. I, it was like rage just pouring out of me at God. And I was on the job laying brick about 10.30 in the morning. And this is what came to me. You remember when Jesus said to his disciples, are you guys going to leave me too? Remember that people were leaving him? And he turns to Peter and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, where am I going to go? You're the one with the words of life. And what struck me that morning was this. I am raging at the one being in the universe who totally understands who I am. And if he's chosen to hold this back, it's because he knows something that I don't know. And I'm telling you, it was like somebody had just opened a valve on the pool. The anger just went, gone. And my mom called me within minutes of that. And she said, Micah, what's going on? I've been praying for you all morning. I said, it's all right now. It's all right now. It's been taken care of. I'm okay. And I have never, I have never gone back to that since. It was like that, that was my, 
high water mark of resistance, and I never went back to that. We experience it. It's not the same circumstances. You look back through history to 2,000 years of wrong, like the song says, and it's different. Different people have different experiences, but we all deal with brokenness and we all deal with our inability to control our lives. My kids come to me. Dad, one of the other ones did something to me. And the words of my dad come back to me. Son, it takes two to tango. Which is just so irritating to grow up with a dad like that, right? <laughs> takes two to tango. Yeah, I know, but it takes two to tango. I told Serena the other day, I said, you know, if you never resented wrongdoing to you, this... If all of you siblings never fought back and declared it's time for justice when somebody does something to you, there would be very little fighting in here. Accepting the circumstances. What does Scripture say? Jesus says this, In this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. There's coming a day. This was a verse that I came across years ago in Isaiah 30. Verse 15, and, and the Lord is talking to the, through Isaiah to the nation of Israel, and he's, and he's not happy with them. And he, and, he, and he describes this situation. He says, it's like you're living next to a brick wall or next to a stone wall that's got a big bulge in it, right? And you're looking at that bulge, and you're afraid it's going to break, and it could break at any moment, and you're wanting to run. But he said, this is the problem. You shouldn't be running. I'm like, is this God talking? There's a bulge in the wall, and it could break at any moment. And this is what he says to them. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, listen, in returning and rest, ye shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And you won't do it. And I took that verse, and I said, all right, God, this is my, this is my stand. I'm knocking off the last part, and you wouldn't do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to learn how to, when all of this stuff is going on around me, and I want to run, I want to panic and run, I'm going to learn how to rest and return. I'm going to learn how to be quiet before you. And isn't it interesting that the song in verse 3 says, to the people who are struggling up the difficulties in life, the people who are struggling through the hard parts in life, this is what he says, rest beside the weary road and listen to the angels sing. There is something about stopping, taking a deep breath, and hearing what God says that can give you an enormous amount of courage to get back up again. I want to tell you one of, the, one of the neatest stories I've ever heard. I think you can identify with it. There was a pastor from South Africa that I was listening. He was preaching in Pennsylvania. We were there. And, and he, said, he said, my dad and my uncles loved the sport of running. And so he said in South Africa that we had lots of runners. And he said one particular day we were at the finish line of a 70-kilometer run. Now, I know that's longer than a marathon. I'm not quite sure how long it is, but that's a long run. And he said the last mile of that run was up the side of a hill into the Colosseum where it would end. And he said the, 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 uh, the path came up into the Colosseum and wound around the center and crossed the finish line. And he said there was about 30,000 people in the stands that day when the first runner came in. The first runner came in running strong crossed the finish line. Everybody was cheering. Woohoo! This is great. And then he said the second guy came in. And he said, and you can identify with this, the second guy, he said, was barely moving. He was so exhausted he couldn't even think anymore. And he fell down. He got into the doors of the Colosseum. He got onto the main area and he fell down. And he, he said he didn't even have the strength to get back on his feet. He just started crawling, but he said in his, in his 
the stupor of the exhaustion that he was in, he started crawling the wrong direction. He was crawling back out of the Colosseum. And, and, and Keith said, instantly, 30,000 people in that stadium. He said, my dad burst into tears. They stood on their feet, screaming, you're going the wrong way. And he said, I don't know. But somehow all of those voices screaming, the guy, it got through to him. And he turned around and he, he staggered to his feet. And he walked across the finish line. He said, you know what? Do you know what it looked like in there? He said it was pandemonium. People screaming. Why? The first guy, he's running strong. We don't know, we don't know how to do that. The second guy coming in, we can identify with that man. And he made it. And he made it. He made it because he had to stop for a little bit. And he got a little bit of encouragement. He heard the angels singing for a moment. And he had enough to make it through. There was another illustration, and I want to use it here because I think it's, I think it's apt. Um, something that I learned years ago in our schooling. Palm trees. Uh, everybody likes palm trees, right? They're tropical and beautiful, and they wave around, and they're pretty. But when hurricanes come, and we, we see them on the news, you know, and the, the bronze are all bending, and the thing is swaying back and forth, you know that they can actually bend all the way to the ground, and then after the storm is over, they come back up again. Is there another tree in the world that can do that? Not that I know of. I remember after, I think it was, I think it was Hurricane Irene came through, and I was working over in Williamsburg, and I'd drive past the, the, the woods and stuff on, on uh, different places over there. And it had been pretty wet. And now I looked in the woods, and you know what I saw? I saw oak trees laid over, one after another after another. And I saw, they, they looked like they had grown on a plate. The whole oak tree had flipped on its side, and the root base was just flat. So I asked some people about it. Here's the difference. Palm trees don't grow like oak trees do. Oak trees put one ring after the next. Remember the control thing? They get bigger and bigger and bigger. And as they get bigger, do you know what happens on the inside? It's dead wood. Makes good firewood, George. But it's not living anymore. But palm trees don't grow that way. Palm trees go... One piece on top of the next. And that palm tree is alive all the way through from one side to the other. It has the ability to bend with a storm and not snap. And the roots, when it gets down to the root base, the roots go out in all directions so that the, the, the root base is so large, is tied to so much dirt, it can't pull it out. And that oak tree was willing to grow tall and look strong, but it had very shallow root base because everything was right there where it needed it. And so it just flips over in a storm. I think that's what God calls us to. Circumstances, we get hurricanes in life. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's really bad. But the palm trees survive because they're living all the way through and they've done it right. Verse 4. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old, when with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold, when the whole heaven and earth shall own the Prince of Peace their King, and the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. The Prince of Peace, Jesus, the Son of God, the mighty Lord, will one day subdue all who, all who refuse or resist his peace. And the redeemed world will, with the angels, with the saints, with the followers of Jesus, I think we're going to sing the angel's song, Glory to God in the highest, and finally on earth, peace, goodwill to man. Finally, Jesus is king. Finally, there's peace. Finally, there's no more, I'm going to control you, and you can't control me. There's just going to be peace, and there's going to be joy. We're going to have joy because the righteousness of Christ is going to be our rule. We don't have to worry about whether elections were stolen. We don't have to worry about, that guy is corrupt. Well, this guy isn't quite as corrupt. I don't know if I can vote for him because... <laughs> righteousness and justice and peace are going to reign. That day is coming. That day is coming. We've been saying it for 2,000 years. The day is coming. And Peter says, scoffers are going to come the last time and say, would you guys quit talking about it? He ain't come for a long time. I don't think Jesus is coming back. No, he's coming. We don't know when. I don't know. I don't have any idea. I make no pretense of knowing anything of that. 
but I know that one day wrongs are going to be righted. One day justice will be served. Whether we think it's justice or not, because I have a feeling that there's going to be some justice meted against me on some things that I didn't know I had coming to me. Is your heart right? Is your heart right this morning? Let's go back to the peace and fear and love thing. You will not know peace internally under the control. You can try it. It works for a little while. The older you get, the less it works. Was that a snicker from reality, Sue? The older, it, the older you get, and the reason is because I, for me, when I was young, life looked really grand and huge in front of me. And it's still wonderful, but it's not as long as it used to be. You are face to face with your own mortality. C.S. Lewis talked about it in a, an article, uh, essay that he wrote called Training in Wartime. And he was talking to, uh, it was during World War II, he was talking to some, some uh, students that were, instead of serving on the war front, they were going to be the next professors for the generation after the war, right? And of course, the question is, in that moment, is there going to be an after the war? You know, we can look back and say, yeah, it ended in 1945. In 1943, they didn't know that. They're still wondering if they're going to live long enough to see it. Or will they all speak German when it's done? And Lewis said this about it. He said, here's the reality with war. War is not really any different in peace, except for one thing. You cannot escape the fears that are in you the fear of your own death. It's face to face with you. You can't get away from it. The fear of your own mortality, the fear of your own limitations, those things stand and stare at you and you can't do anything about it because the war is continuing. He said, it's still 100% mortality in every generation. Some may die earlier, but the reality is what you're up against is just the fact that you can't ignore it. And when I'm 16 and when I'm 18 and when I'm 25, I can kind of ignore the fact that someday I won't be able to just scamper up a ladder and work on the roof. I remember when my grandpa told me, he said he had always done everything on his house, 80 years old. He's like, I can't do it anymore. It's so hard to have someone else come and do these things for me. And I thought, oh man, I didn't even think about that before, you know? Are you at peace with the men around you? Paul says this, dearly beloved, as much as possible... Live at peace with all men. Are you at peace this way? Can you say, honestly, there's no one in my life that, as far as I know, has a beef with me. Now, sometimes they do, and sometimes there's conflict that you can't do anything about. That's why Paul says, as much as possible, live peaceably. It's a question worth asking, though. Have you accepted God's oversight of your circumstances? That's the question that weighs on me this morning because I have railed all year against my circumstances. I have been frustrated. It's been a tough year for me on that. And I'm studying this and I'm like, oh God, I don't want to accept these circumstances. How could I say? How could I say these things are from you? And then I put myself... Then I put myself in a situation of a first century Jew who has no ability to speak. And he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, why don't you do something about this? And Jesus says, why should I do something? That's not my task here. And you leave and you walk away from Jesus as a first century Jew, angry, because the guy who could have done something wouldn't do it not having any idea, and never having any idea if you walked away from him at that moment, that he was doing something far greater than you could do. And I wonder, I wonder as I rail against the circumstances that I'm in, is God doing something way bigger than I have any idea? And here I am down here screaming at him for it. I don't know, but I've got to learn how to accept circumstances that he puts me in. Do you live in the light of his return? Because he is coming back. Jimmy preached in Peter about that. Living in the light of his return gives you greater power to live in holiness as we wait for him. I want to tell you a story to illustrate 
what it means to take fear and overcome it with love so that peace returns. It's a true story. I'm not going to give names, but it's a true story. I got a call this summer from a friend of mine, and he said, Mike, I need to talk to you. So I said, well, come on over. So he came over, and we talked. This is what he said to me. I want you all to listen. I want you young people to listen, too. He said, I've been addicted to pornography for years and years and years. I'm married now, and it's affecting my family. I can't do this anymore. He said, I'm going to go tell my wife. And he did. And they've had some hard times this year working through that, dealing with the, dealing with the reality of it. But if you went and asked him now, you know what would be in his heart right now? Peace. I've talked to him. He's doing good with it. He's learned how to resist the devil. You think he was afraid to go talk to his wife about it? That is not an easy thing to do. To confess your sin, to recognize your own sinfulness, to recognize your own mortality. Why did he do it then? If he had that much fear, how could he do it? I'll tell you why he did it. It's real simple. He loved God, and he loved his wife and his family enough to get rid of the fear so peace could come back, so the cage could come off of his heart, and so God could use him as the dad in his home to bless his family. That's precisely what it means. That's precisely what it means in a totally regular 21st century world. That's what it means to take love, stamp out fear, and let peace come back. And it's excruciatingly difficult. That doesn't cover all of the things. There's so many things. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know what the fear is. I don't even know if it's near rational fear. But I know this. Fear today is more prevalent than I've ever seen in my entire life. And when fear comes in, peace leaves. And when peace leaves, it just generates more fear. The only way to break it is to let God's love deal with the fear to allow the peace to come back. This is my closing. Remind yourself. These are choices. These are actions that you can take because remember, love is an action. And God gives us, isn't it great? God doesn't say to us, hey, I want you to, uh, to just always wake up happy. And one guy said, I sometimes wake up happy and sometimes I let her sleep. He doesn't give us things, commands that are emotionally improbable. He gives us choices. Choose you this day who you will serve. In all things, give thanks. And so these things that I'm giving you right now, are every one of them is a choice. Remind yourself that Christ came to bring peace for you and for those around you. It's a reality. Remind yourself of it. Let the angels sing to you periodically. Secondly, do not place your trust in men. Men are not trustworthy because we're bent. We have a natural instinct to control. As humans, we're messed up. Even those of us who are sanctified and walking with the Lord still struggle with the old nature, and we are still going to mess things up. Do not place your trust in men, but 1 Timothy says this. Pray. Paul says this, pray for kings and for all that are in authority. Why? So that you might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Huh, I thought we were supposed to pray for them that they get saved. Well, you can do that. But Paul says pray that so that you can live out your life in quietness and honesty. I find, I find that to be a blessing. Paul got it even back then. We want to live, live our lives with joy. So he says, pray for your leaders, that they'll make decisions, that that will bring that to you. That's okay. 
Don't trust them. Pray for them. And then begin looking for God's grace in your circumstances. Sue, did you see God's grace anywhere as you went through Doug's, the, the death of Doug? Many. Many times. But you have to look for it, don't you? Begin looking. Just find something. Begin looking. Because God's grace, I promise you, if you're walking with him, his grace is in your circumstances. Begin to look. And then fourth, be still and know that he is God. Just resonated with me this week. Be still and know that he is God. We're going into a new year. Circumstances haven't changed much. We've come through, I certainly in my life, the strangest year I've ever experienced. We're missing some people that we started with. And on our Christmas tree, I still have that little, that little angel that Miss Vernell made. I don't know if you all still have them on your trees or not, but for those of you that have been around a while, I think about her when I look at that. I think about Mr. Craig when I look at that. I think about Sammy Cox when I drive down the fields and I see Baker out there. I think about Doug. Circumstances are always going to be less than what we want. But there's coming a day when the Prince of Peace will declare, all right, it's time. And the kingdom will be initiated fully and we will have a righteous judge and we will have a righteous king and there will be finally peace on earth let's hang on let's do whatever it takes let's choose however we can to fight back our own control to fight back our old nature and to learn how to love and eradicate fear so that we can live at peace with him with each other and with our circumstances in the world around us let's move forward to the end with grace and with joy in our hearts to the best of our ability. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I just thank you so much. I thank you for, in my own life, just this, the, the blessing that it's been to, to have these thoughts. Lord, to have this, um, for me, a, a sort of an epiphany with this, that it's not... It's not choosing peace, it's choosing love. And the peace comes because I've chosen to love and the fear has been eradicated. I thank you that you've come along and you've said, peace I leave with you. And you, you've helped us to see that there is a peace that's not real. There's a peace that feels good for the moment but is not real. But there's a peace that comes from you that no matter what happens, no matter whether our son is killed on a motorcycle, no matter whether our spouse is diagnosed with cancer, whether we have to deal with MS, whether, whether our life is full of joy, you're still the sovereign Lord and you have not let anything slip by you unnoticed. Father, help us to be like Jesus when he stood before Pilate and Pilate said, don't you realize I have the power to kill you? And Jesus looks him in the eye and says, you can only do what my father has given you permission. Help us to walk in the confidence and the joy and the peace that comes from knowing categorically that that's true. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. I pray you would just, as we go, as we fin finish by singing this song, that you would just help us to leave with new resolve in our hearts to walk with you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.